Hey, this Realm of the Mist podcast is brought to you proudly by the Nurses Guild. Hi, this is Eddie Deason. You're listening to Breaking the Fourth Wall. I was Mandark in Dexter's Laboratory. Ha 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 ha. Hey, what's up, guys? Christopher Stolle back for another Breaking the Fourth Wall. I don't have to give a long introduction because you guys already know this guy. He's been on my show before. He is the proud one of the uh, members of the proud sponsorship that we have here at Breaking the Fourth Wall, which is the Nurses Guild. He is the founder of the Nurses Guild, Mr. Kevin Kennedy. Kevin, how you or Kevin Phillips? Why do I say Kennedy? Kevin Phillips, how you doing today? Good. Um, Kennedy's a nice reference. I like that. Yeah, that works too, right? <laughs> I'm mixing, I'm mixing you with the other Kennedy. Um, <laughs> so, as we had you on before, just to give a quick recap, you are the founder of the Nurses Guild, which is an at-home uh, uh, nursing care provider out of uh, Fort Lauderdale, and uh, I'm blanking the other city, but basically in Florida, Boca Boca Baton. Palm Beach and uh, Boca Baton. And uh, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy. Um, therapies that we can do at home where the patient doesn't have to travel to the hospital. People don't like to be in hospitals. So it's, it's a good service. Um, and now we're able to offer it to vets, which is um, what I'm here to talk about. Absolutely. Vets now have the ability to break away from the Veterans Administration healthcare system. If they um, are waiting more than 30 days for an appointment, qualify. So outside. Through home health, we have services, particularly for the vets. Uh, I'm a Vietnam era veteran. Thank you for your service. Took me about 10 years to reintegrate. 10 years and a drinking problem is what, what it took me. Real, qu real quick, was, uh, was the 10 years because of uh, how bad the PTSD was or, or would it be more attributed to the fact that uh, during the Vietnam era and subsequently we, we really didn't take care of our vets as well as we should have as we do now? You had to hide that we were vets when you applied for a job. You did not check, check that you were a vet because it was used against you. Right. At that time, we were getting called baby killers and we were being spit upon. And we hid that fact just for our own, own employment. Um, it was a sad time in this country. It really was. People um, blamed the soldiers what the politicians did. Which is usually So the, the environment's changed a great deal. And I appreciate it. But I also know what it's like when you're discharged. And you no longer have that around you to support you. You're on your own and you're lonely as you I can't tell you how many hours I spent staring at my ceiling. Just immobile. And um, I can't blame, blame my drinking problem on PTSD as I probably was genetically predisposed to have that drinking problem. Right. But rather than coming to a head at age 45, it came to a head at age 27. Five years after. Um, I, I had completely stopped that. Now, there were no support groups, there were no um, group therapies we could go to, nothing. They didn't even acknowledge that PTSD existed. Right, at the time it was called shell shock and it was 
considered a temporary condition, correct? It was a different condition. Shell shock is from concussion, repeated concussion. Uh, it's called now CTE. But those days, everything was dropped into that category. If you went to the VA with any problems, you were just medicated to death. And we used to call them VA zombies. They just medicated us with heavy, heavy drugs. And not any of the fun drugs, I'll tell you that. They never gave you the fun stuff. <laughs> ah man but it's changed so now a veteran can step out and get private therapies well not everything's written down and part of your, your extended record you can talk in private and be assured of that privacy where I a therapy regimen can be tailored just to you, not to every person in your class, but just to you, to your needs. It makes a big difference. Personalized care is so much more effective than one size fits all, which is what the VA offers. Right. Now, um, VA is trying to do a good job. Healthcare professionals in there are trying to do the best they can. But you know, when your hands are tired by a bureaucracy, it's very similar to what happens in healthcare throughout this country. For every dollar we spend on healthcare, 25 cents to 50 cents of that dollar is going to go into the bureaucracy. It's going to be made to generate paperwork to assure the bureaucracy that nothing is wrong, that you're not being, that they're not being stolen from. And it's such a waste of healthcare dollars. We now have the capability of doing, of assuring that there's no fraud happening electronically with a simple app that takes 60 seconds or less, and it can eliminate half of the paperwork. When I say paperwork, think of healthcare dollars, think of more, more visits to your doctor, or more, more money in your pocket to, so you can buy the, the, the prescriptions that you need. We are wasting so much of our capital feeding the system. And the system is sick. It's right. not working. <clears throat> Medicare produces statistics on healthcare fraud every year. And they've been fighting it now for 20 years. And it goes up every year. So obviously what they're doing is not working. But they don't admit that it's not working. They just do more of it. It doesn't make any sense. When you, when you are treating someone with a medicine and they don't respond, try another medicine. Right. They just increase the dosage. It's their idea. I don't know how good of an analogy that was, but. No, I get, I get where you're coming from. I have a, a mother-in-law who, you know, her, her daily prescriptions read like an encyclopedia. And I've constantly argued with her, her choice of doctor because of the fact that she has a lot of conditions, a lot of conditions that, that she deals with. And it's, it almost seems like half of her medication is counteracting the other half of the medication where her, I, I question her quality of life because of the fact that like she's taking all these meds and getting nothing accomplished. It's not unusual for People over 65 to be taking 20 Some of them are collected from past uh, episodes that have resolved, but the drug remains. Um, that's usually our first challenge with the patient is 
curing their drugs and getting rid of what is no longer needed. That's my that's my fear for her because I mean her doctor, like you said before, her, her doctor always seems to want to just up dosages or, hey, let's try this variation of the same drug, you know. It's it, it, in well, my mind, and I'm, I'm a third party. I, of course, I'm a third party, but to me, it feels like he's just throwing spaghetti at a wall and waiting to see what sticks. A lot of this comes from our specialty uh, approach to medicine, where no no doc takes care of. Right. One takes care of your stomach, another one for your kidneys, this one for your arthritis, and this one for your neurological problems. Each one of them is going to prescribe something. It's rare for a patient to walk out of a doctor's office without a prescription. That's, that's the minority. So each one of these docs is going to write for something just to prove to you that he cares and he's treating you but he does not know the other drugs you're on. Who can remember 20 drugs? Right. That's what drugs you take. So he does not know the full complement of what you're taking and he's prescribing in the blind. It's very bad medicine, but it's done every day. And this is how people end up on 20 different drugs. It's a shame. The liver is, to me, is, is like a basic filter, like an oil filter for you. There's only so many miles you can get out of it. Right. The more you make that liver strain these drugs, the less it has, your liver has to do its normal job. The liver puts out a lot of our clotting facilities, clotting, blood clotting chemicals as well as the precursors to a lot of our hormones. So it has a very important role in our health. Yet we bombard it with compounds that it was never designed to filter. I've always been personally fascinated. Um, maybe you can explain this to me. I've always been personally fascinated on the, de the designing of, of medications, of, of certain drugs. In, in the fact of, you know, I know they're made from natural, normally made from natural ingredients found, you know, on our planet, obviously, broken down uh, rocks and, and minerals and, and, and things of that nature. But how do you know, how do you, how do you even find out that this limestone could help ease cancer symptoms? Like, how, how, how is that even figured out chemically? They look for proteins, bioactive proteins in the natural world. So for a while there was stuff uh, about compounds made out of shark fins. God, they stopped that because we're running out of sharks. But um, a lot of drugs like digitalic, this is very common from uh, the poison arrows that the aborigines in the, in the Amazon used. It's a common, it's from a common plant in the Amazon. Okay. It's concentrated and put on the tip of an arrow because it can stop a heart. At a massive dose, it stops a heart. So some of it comes from historical use of those plants. But in the last 30 to 50 years, we have sent researchers looking for new compounds. It's very hard to design a protein. They're almost all naturally made. Okay. So they're searching for proteins and saying, okay, this one's bioactive, what does it do? So they'll give it to mice to see what it does. Once they find out what its actions are, then they can tailor it into a drug. Now that's the good stuff that our drug companies do. And a lot of that's out of the national system of health. We pay for with our tax dollars. But drug found there somehow ends up for profit drug making. 
even though our tax dollars paid for the research. Whenever you see a commercial where they're announcing they've combined two drugs, right. one, one pill, the only purpose for that is to extend patent protection. Because now I added a new drug, a new compound, drug whose patent is running out, now I get a whole new 20-year run of exclusive, exclusive use. These are not done for our benefit. They're done for the corporations. Corporation, for the shareholders. Why, why do we pay five times what everybody else pays? I'll give you an example. Um, they come up with a each shot that they into a joint takes away our, a lot of arthritis pain. Okay. And here it costs about $1,400 a dose. Holy cow. I can buy it in Switzerland for $120. Switzerland and comes out a lot of middlemen. My, my, my wife gets three of these shots a year. So every time I'm in Switzerland, I buy a bunch of it because it's saving me 90%. And that 90% is literally corporations, middlemen, marketing, column A, column B, as opposed to just, you know, cost of medicine and distribution. Most of the big drug companies, a lot of them are American American born. Yet we pay the highest price. It should be the other way around, where we're getting the discount and the rest of the world paying the high price. But their healthcare systems would not put up with those type of prices. They would just disallow it. Ours says, oh, more profit to you. Medicine is a profit-driven entity. Oh, I've always said that. Uh, I've always said that with like the common cold and cancer, for example. There's, there's more money in, in research than there is in curing. You don't cure things when you make them chronic. You have to take medicine for for the rest of your life. That's what we do. Um, a few things have been cured. I just heard there's a, a cure for sickle cell disease. Oh, that's great news. One of the meanest diseases I have ever seen. The type of pain, pain that starts in your bones. Uh, morphine just doesn't wait. Watch these patients in the emergency room suffering days and days of pain. Now we have a cure. That's excellent. It's not out there for everybody yet. It's coming. Believe it or not, it uses the HIV virus. Snippet of DNA code into into your bone marrow, so that they don't produce blood cells that would turn into a sickle shape. So that's one thing we have cured. But I can count on my hand, on on on, on five fingers, things that have been cured in my life. Right. Most things are made chronic. HIV, it's not cured, it's been made chronic. I have to take medicine. Right. And there, as soon as that happens, the research stops. The cure research stops. Can't be funded anymore because it's, it's not killing people anymore. So I'm, I'm very disheartened with, with the medical profession in a lot of ways. When we're profit driven, Capitalism expects there to be winners and losers. In healthcare, we cannot have winners and losers. It's got to be equal for us all. But if you're a rich white guy, you can get the best of care. But if you're a brown poor man, get whatever they hand you. I can relate, even though I'm not brown, I can relate. I'm a poor white man, and I, I, 
Trust me, I, I, I get annoyed if I ever go to a hospital. Last time I was at a hospital was a very long time ago. But I mean, I remember seeing getting charged $18 for two Advil. $18 for two Advil to send me on my way. I was in a car accident. That's all they did for me. They charged me, you know, hundreds of dollars for the emergency visit and $18 for two Advil. And that was the only treatment I received. I'm getting more than you make in a year. How did we get that kind of disparity? Why is hospitalization so goddamn expensive? Agreed. I had a heart attack. I spent 18 hours in the hospital before I signed myself out. And this is back in 2003, something like $72,000 for that 18 hours. That's more than I made that entire year. Now I could be I could be ignorant and wrong, but I think I think major majorly with the hospitals it's greed, and I've seen it like in Philadelphia where I'm at, where hospitals that used to be uh, privately owned or owned by churches or whatever else were taken over by corporations, and the and healthcare corporations as well as like literal business it's corporations. It's not just greed. Hospitals have an impenetrable regulatory burden that a lot of what they do, a lot of what is making it so expensive is complying with all those regulations. Because every every regulation has a cost. But they turn them out year after year. They don't take any away. They always are adding to it. So there's an annual cost to every regulation. And even if that regulation is no longer used, you're still paying the cost for it. Um, my, my specialty now is in home, home health. Right. When I started this 20 years ago, about 20 cents on the dollar was going on on the regulatory basis. That's now up to 50 cents on the dollar. Complying with the regulation. All the stuff you have to do. Good example. I've, I've, I think I've stated this before. When I was an ER nurse, to admit someone to a hospital, I needed like three pieces of paper: doctor's order, signed permission to treat from the patient, and maybe a, a physical exam. And that was enough to admit someone to a hospital. To admit a stub toe into home health. I need to do 60 pages of documents, including 18 witness signatures. To put a bandage on a stub toe. We've taken something so simple, a nurse visiting a patient at home, which is a simple, wonderful thing, but they treat it like it's a criminal enterprise that we have to prove we're innocent constantly. And that is eating up 50% of the benefit. I could do so much more for my patients than I'm doing now if it was not for that burden. And it gets worse every year. Soon it will be more than 50% very soon. What are we doing? This doesn't make any sense. Healthcare dollars should not treat bureaucracies. It's for treating people. I agree. I 100% agree on that. A lot of what this paperwork does can be done electronically. You can certify that this, this healthcare professional will be this patient at this time and place on this planet. That can be done electronically. Now I have to fill, fill out a witness attestation that the doctor has seen the patient in the last 30 days. I need that report ready witnessed in order to do anything. These are stupid things. Let me let me ask you something just as a as a devil's advocate. Not not that I whole heart not that I'd believe that the question wouldn't uh, the answer to the question wouldn't be no. But just just to play devil's advocate, could part of the cost and, and a lot of the bureaucracy paperwork also be included from the fact of uh, 
patient false claims, you know, or, 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 and what I mean by patient false claims, I don't necessarily mean like they're claiming they have an illness they don't have, but I mean along the lines of like uh, lawsuits of malpractice where as many of them that are legitimate that, that the doctor screwed up, did something wrong. There's just as many who were just look, out looking for a paycheck and as trickle down economics always goes, somebody's got to pay foot that bill in which case all the prices went up. You would think that malpractice would be a big, big burden, but in 20 years of doing this, doing 50,000 home visits a year for the last 20 years, we've never been sued. Um, I I was, just to be clear, I wasn't, just to be clear, I wasn't necessarily meaning the nurses guild, I was meaning in general. Not as litigious as it's made out to be. Now practice suits are rare. And sometimes they are 100% justified. Right. Medicine does not do good policing its own. It should not have that ability. There should be outsiders. Patients should be the ones policing us. Because you, you'll never get a doc to say one thing bad about another doc. It's their fraternity. They just don't do it. Right. No matter how outrageous it is. Um, and I've seen some pretty outrageous stuff. So malpractice has, has a place in, in our healthcare. We should, should always have the right to read for dress but it's not the cost driver it's made out to be okay yeah it does drive us into doing lab work that's not necessary say i'm a doctor from your symptoms i know exactly what you have now i have to do lab work to prove that right so i can bill for it i'm not going to just take my work now I got to prove it. Uh, there's a, a bunch of drugs that I call the don't sue me drugs. Uh, you'll go to the hospital for a head with that nausea with it. Uh, no, no, not with a head wound. You're in there for, for a broken arm and you need drugs so you don't Or you don't have a GI bleed, right? That that one in ten thousand may have to treat everybody. That's the point I'm trying to say. Okay. We overtreat just because things might happen, and it it, it gets expensive. It really does. But my big thing is wasting health care dollars on paperwork. It is, I thought when we went to electronic records, this would decrease because there were auto, you can get things to auto fill out and all that. But no, it didn't work that way. Everybody that expected Q computers to speed things up, go to the DMV and see how quick things Yeah. Work. No, um, things haven't sped up. They actually take longer because there's more information the computer's asking for. The wasting our healthcare dollars, feeding a bureaucracy. You wonder why it exists. I've always questioned, and I'm, I mean, again, it could be my own ignorance. I've always questioned uh, the need for things like health insurance. Uh, with health being a you know, God-given right, um, in general, I've always questioned the fact of why I would need insurance when I can walk into a hospital and be treated because you, you're, you're not allowed to, to, to block me. Now, okay, maybe that's a little different for like personal cares like the Nurses Guild or for specialty specialists and stuff like that who can refuse patients. But I mean, like, you know, if I'm in a car accident, for example, and and I'm hurt pretty bad, and I don't have Medicaid, Medicare, or any type of health insurance. 
the hospital can't just turn me away. I still have to. They have to treat me. Right. So So I've always. Chance they get. Right. And I mean. Two weeks in, if you don't have insurance, you're leaving the hospital. Going home. Right. Now, I understand the need for insurance. If one day in the hospital cost me more than a, a year's wages, people need to be protected from that. Right. Up until the Affordable Care Act, people would go bankrupt through the health care bill. Another thing that would happen, kids will have a, let's say mom's getting dementia, they move all her assets away from mom, so now she qualifies for Medicaid. Between Medicare and Medicaid, the, the hospital is called the gold card. We see people having to do things like that. Just to survive the financial hardship getting sick, which we're all going to get sick. Right. No one dies without a diagnosis. So when we waste healthcare dollars, it's even more painful since they're so scarce. My healthcare insurance used to be the most expensive thing I bought every year, higher than my mortgage. Higher than my car payment. I was paying, oh, when I was 60, I was paying about 25000 a year for health care for four, family of four. Jesus. My mortgage wasn't that high. That's outrageous. It is. It's ridiculous. They're taking the money from us, whether you realize it or not. The dollar you spend on health care insurance. Is dollars spent on your health care? Not the insurance, it's your health care. And what we get from what, what we buy varies a great deal. We don't all get the same thing. Right. To me, when you land in an ER bed, you're equal to everybody in the country. You get the best I care I can give you. But to the hospital, they're all different categories. No one's the same. And you'll get different categories of care. We have, as a country, put the, put the doctrine that all men are created created Right. And that's probably the last time we're equal. Just on the day we're born. From then on, you're going to be in a category of risk that the health insurance company has assigned to you. Now, it used to be they were able to say, oh, you have diabetes, we're not going to cover anything diabetic with diabetes. Diabetes affects the entire body. Right. Vision, your, your uh, nerve endings in your fingers and your toes. Every organ is affected by this. Almost anything can be denied as pre existing because it's a, it's a systemic disease. And I just lost my train of thought. I apologize. <laughs> um, About the equality uh, and, and the healthcare not, not seeing yeah. equality. For the Affordable Care Act, they were not allowed to discriminate by Now they've continued to collect that information. As soon as that regs change, bam, my hammer's coming. They're going to try to get out of paying for almost all your care. They can. <coughs> that's, that's the crazy thing. You buy health insurance and what you've bought is an organization that's going to try real hard not to pay any Right. Not try hard to pay it on time. Not try hard to make sure you've got the best care. They just want to pay the least they can for you. Mm-hmm. While taking the most they can out of you. 
They disallow something. They don't refund your premium, do they? Nope. No, but I mean, it, it that kind of falls under the same same logics as, as any other insurance that you have. I mean, you buy auto insurance and they do the exact same thing. They'll charge you the most premium. You have an accident and they'll try to find every loophole to make sure you don't get paid for what it is you were paying for. The auto insurance and driving record charge me through the nose for it. I can't deny that. Give me the cat. <laughs> but uh overall let's get back let's get back to uh veterans affairs for the uh uh, with associations of the Nurses Guild. So you, uh, if I'm understanding correctly, the Nurses Guild tries to work alongside with the VA or do, do they do it as an alternative to the VA? No, we work with them. Um, we come out, start with the orders from the VA doc. And we're there to supplement what they don't have the staff to do. Okay. Now there's some Important therapies that really need to be done, particularly, say, an amputee. There's a lot of amputees coming out of these wars. Right. You've lost your left arm. Now you've got to learn how to deal with the world one hand at a time. Putting, just buttoning your shirt can be an immensely challenging thing. Right. There is a specialty called occupational therapy. Has nothing to do with your job. It has to do with learning to live with the disability you have. So they'll teach you different ways to that you can button your shirt with one hand so it doesn't take you half an hour. The following is an important message from the Nurses Guild of Florida. We know COVID has many scared. Many of our seniors are even afraid to go to the doctors. Just the thought of being exposed to all the people in the waiting room, in addition to the doctor's staff, is a risk many don't want to take right now. However, putting off health care makes most conditions worse. The Nurses Guild has the solution. One that exposes you to just one person. Call your doctor's office and have them order a nursing assessment from the Nurses Guild. We are a five-star Medicare home health agency. Your registered nurse in full PPE will perform a full head-to-toe assessment, vital signs and medication review, pulse oximetry, even an EKG if needed. Lab work and x-rays can also be done at home. Our registered nurse will discuss all of this strictly and directly with your doctor and get you results. All of our nurses and home health aides are fully screened, supervised, and COVID tested. Call the Nurses Guild today to arrange your home health visit at 954-596-9806 in Broward County and 561-826-8937 in Palm Beach County. Remember, health care put off is health care too late. Stay safe during the pandemic. Wear a mask and insist those around you wear a mask, wash your hands frequently, and stay home as much as possible. Teach you how to, how to cook in your, in your kitchen safely with one hand. Different steps. It's not a specialty I practice. I'm not speaking to it very, very eloquently. Right. But it's very needed therapy. It's very hard to get. Because this stuff has to be done in the home. The therapist has to see what challenges you're up against in order to help you the best, best he can. And I assume an occupational therapist also has to be kind of a, uh, in, in a sense, kind of a, uh, uh, I don't want to use the term psychiatrist, but uh, at least a psychologist, because not only are you dealing with the physical challenges but also the mental strain and challenges the person's dealing with fully educated psychological we're also getting a lot of closed brain trauma trauma to the brain that was not penetrating but the when the Iranians blew up that base in Iraq, 
They didn't hit one of our guys, not directly, but the concussions of those successive explosions really hurt their brains. Right. Some will be much more, more effective than others, depending on the genetics and how his brain is built. But we are all affected by this such concussion. It's just starting to come to light now how important monitoring how many concussions you've had in your lifetime is. Each brain in injured person is unique, as unique as his brain was. So we, you and I experience the same force against our brains. Right going to have different effects because it's not only the genetics of your brain but the biochemistry of what's happening in your brain at that moment and your past experience you may have had three concussions before this one this is the one that puts you over the line uh, now you can't remember things and i may have only had one right so each brain injured person is different. So the therapies need to be designed specifically for that person. Not one size fits all. And bureaucratic medicine will give one size fits all answers to these type of questions. If you step out of the VA system and use the, the nurses guild, you will get therapies tailored to you to your personal experience. It makes a world of difference. It really does. Um, we do a lot of psych nursing. And a lot of psychiatric trained nurses. It's important. It's probably one of the most important things we can do for listen. Most don't want much. But acknowledge and say, yeah, that does hurt. Well, yeah, that, that's really hard. And you can't sleep. Well, that, that, that's kind of interesting. The talk therapy thing is kind of interesting to me. Uh, because I, I'm curious what in your experience do you find to be more, especially for, for somebody who, who served, uh, to be more uh, effective at home one-on-one -on -one, uh, sessions or like the group therapies where people are sitting around together, they've all experienced some sort of trauma serving and sharing their stories being something that that uh, in itself can be ther therapeutic in the sense of feeling like you're not alone. So I'm curious, which one do you find to be? What I've discovered is that giving a vet a safe place to relive that most traumatic instance that's, that's carried home with him, giving him a safe place to express that and kind of relive it get a better focus on it. It's turned out to be crucial in, in recovery. So yeah, group therapy, they get to talk with other guys that have gone through similar things. And that, that, just knowing you're not alone going through this, save your sanity. Um, and a, a lot of these psych symptoms, they're embarrassed by. No reason to be embarrassed, but to them it shows that you can do something like that. You have to get past that macho barrier that, frankly, the, the military instills into them. Makes you a better, makes you a better soldier, sailor. Doesn't kill you, makes you stronger. Mm -hmm. um, it's not necessarily true. What doesn't kill you can man you for 20 years. And some of these vets, 20 years from now, will still be wrestling with some of these problems. 
Warfare is such an unnatural act. Yes, we are, as a species, we can kill, but we don't kill in mass. Now the weapons of war are so powerful. The human body can't stand up to it. Just being on the battlefield, whether you're shot at or not, being there is traumatic to your brain. No, you're not wrong. There's a saying in medicine that your biography becomes your biology. What you live through takes how you will live in the future. So, yes, we don't have as Look at the difference between the Vietnam War and uh, both equal in length. Again, war is even longer. So many more died in Vietnam. So we died on the battlefield, or soon after. Now, medicine, battlefield medicine is so good, we get you off and up in a helicopter as quickly as possible. And it's not unusual an hour after you've been shot to be laying on an OR table. It can happen that fast. So we're saving a lot of lives. Right. But the trauma remains with them. Trauma is not like an illness that you can re that you just get over. Right. Like the infection's gone, my fever's good, I'm no, I'm no longer sick. That's not how trauma works. Trauma stays with the brain, either with physical sequela, where the brain is not functioning properly anymore, or just basic psych psychiatric sequela, um, or combination, most likely combination. But it, it remains, it lingers. And even guys that are getting out today thinking they are fine, find out five years Trauma takes a lifetime to recover. Every person that's been on a battlefield carries it with them. They don't talk about it a lot because there's no place to talk about it. Who wants to talk about when they were terrified? Right. You're not wrong. Really wish we would stop talking about it. It is so bad. It eats people's lives. I served what fifty years ago. And some mornings it was just like yesterday. So for vets, if you're waiting for more than 30 days for an appointment, according to the regulations, you can step out of the VA system and use an approved provider. It took us two years to jump through all the VA hoops to become an approved, approved provider. And I'm probably going to, if they hear me on the, talk against them the way I have, I'm probably going to lose that. I don't think we said anything too disrespectful. I hope not. Because I'm, I am here to help. And that, that's the big, that's the big thing to take away from this at the end of the day is the target goal is to help those who need help. It's not, you know, to, to for lack of a better term here, have a pissing contest with another entity. <laughs> well, add to what they do. Not that agree. And we can. I've had a, lot, a great, great deal of success that uh, bureaucracy inside the VA is not capable of. Well, uh, Kevin, why don't we go ahead again and uh, go to the point where you tell everybody where uh, 
where they can contact not only the nurses guild but maybe any questions that you uh that you may have uh not you may have but they may have for you where they can contact uh you or or obviously again the nurses guild nurses guild's got a nice website um just google the nurses guild we, we are unique so we're not hard to find it's all explain what the nurses guild is 20 years ago, Medicare started sending out to its patients an explanation of benefits. And at that time, I was a bedside home health nurse. I've done 30 years of critical care, threw out my back. I went into home health because there was no risk to me. Simple as that. I discovered that maybe 15 cents on the healthcare dollar patient's benefit was actually getting to them in the form of care. The rest was being eaten up by a series of profit takers that had nothing to do with clinical care at all. Never touched a patient, but yet driving a nice Porsche because of that patient. So my objective when I started the Nurses Guild was to get the maximum amount of care I could to the bedside. And we got that up to 60 cents to the dollar in year 2014. Nice. Now we're at hovering around 50 cents. Because I'm spending the other 50 cents feeding a bureaucracy. Half the money now goes to Medicare. Doesn't make sense. The Medicare is an insurance payer that gets half the money back and stops. So inefficient. Anyway, that's the reason the Nurses Guild came to an existence. Our whole motivation is give patients as much care as possible. Nurses are advocates. Not only treat your wound, but advocate for you and your health and the services you need. That advocacy came to life in the nursing And we've attracted a lot of very credible professionals simply because of that attitude. To us, the home health benefit a patient receives is the patient's property, not ours. Right. They pay to us. They pay to us with the agreement that we supply it to them in the form of care. That's the covenant. Not that we treat ourselves first by taking the money for ourselves. Right. It's for patient care and it will be spent on patient care. So with the vets, you will get what your benefit is paying for as efficiently as we can. We'll get as maximum amount of that money to you. That's our jobs. And that's our role. We take it seriously and we fight for our patients. Fight like crazy. It makes a difference. You know your caregiver is on your side, is there to help you, not the system they come from, it makes a big difference. It really does. And I've, I've, stated, I've stated this before on the last episode that I, that I did with you, and I'm going to state it again. It is really humbling to sit here and talk to you uh, about, about these things. I could tell how compassionate you are uh with with this field and and quite honestly the battlefield you fight every day with with as you said the uh the bureaucracy of uh of the challenges of trying to provide the best amount of health care uh with the restrictions of finances the restrictions of of uh of all the paperwork restrictions of whatever obstacle they want to throw your way to give the care to the people who need it most. It's absolutely humbling talking to you about it. It's absolutely admirable that you do this. And I can't state enough how much Realm of the Mist is absolutely proud to be sponsored by you and to sing your, uh, your praises. Just, uh, you know, it, it is, it is absolutely breathtaking how, how much the healthcare system is really against health. <laughs> True. The 
you know, I, I roll off numbers, 50 cents on, on the healthcare dollar, that thing. What it means in real life is Mrs. Jones can remain in her humble little one-bedroom apartment, not live in a nursing home because I'm able to bring the care she needs to. Um, that once a month visit where we come and give her her medicine, she's injectable medicine she needs, can keep her out of an institution. We all fear being put into a nursing losing control of our own bodies and having someone else in charge of us. Those against the American brain. Right. Someone else is going to be in charge of your body. We fight it like crazy. I once took care of a retired New York cop, him and his wife. And he was in, in his 80s. Had to put him in the hospital. He pretty much knew this was his last rodeo. That if he went in the hospital, he wasn't going. When the fire rescue guys showed up to pick him up, he pulled his service revolver, held them all at gunpoint. I knew this guy. I'd been treating him for five years. Right. He was so afraid losing control, what happened next? That he helped everybody at gunpoint. Oh, wow. His wife told me he had no bullets. She took the bullets out a month before, and I believed her. So he's in this bedroom with fire rescue outside the door, club guns, ready to shoot him. I just, I walked in there, I said, give me the gun. And he had it pointed at my abdomen. I reached for the gun. Oh, wow. I still hear that click. That's <laughs> great. But the, the, I'm telling the story in that he was a, a sane, cogent gentleman who was so fearful. He was willing to be shot by the police rather than lose control. Wow. That's how powerful we feel. That is he great. He still has a gun, by the way. His wife gave me his gun. <laughs> I never used it. But I'm, that click still, still is in my head. I, I hope you send a Christmas card to his wife every year just as a thank you for taking the bullets out. <laughs> My wife, as an ER nurse, where I worked in inner city, Temple in North Philadelphia, University of Pennsylvania, West Philadelphia. My life gets threatened. It just happens. How's he doing now? He was right. He was his last rodeo. He died about two weeks later. Oh. That is disheartening. Patients seem to have a sense of when it's over. And some of them get very agitated, but most get very peaceful. They accept it. They know it's coming. They just wish it doesn't hurt too much. And a man at that stage, You can sit and listen to him. I've learned so much wisdom. Tell you the truth at that point. Face, soon to face the creator, they stop laughing. Right. And they tell you all the stuff that matters to them. Anybody ever mentioned? Talk about the people they love, history they how they might have affected the planet themselves. 
what, what Mark Faith made. Boston, the son, they said, worked too hard. Wish they had spent more time with the family. Those type of regrets. I always felt it a great privilege to be able to finish my shift and spend an extra hour or two doing I would sit when, if I wasn't there, no one would. Particular affinity for street drunks. My grandfather died. And in, uh, I worked in uh, it's called Thomas Jefferson University. Great It had a clothing. We are had had a lot of it. Both brothers suits. The clothing of. of Ducks that had died or lost weight or something. I don't know. Just an amazing clothing. Every Sunday, I would take one of my street trunks and go out and do contamination, shower them, give them a haircut, put them in a, a suit, sometimes with a cane, and send them home to visit their family. They now have seen. And that was my deal with them. I'll do this for you. Clothes and shower and all that. Sunday mornings, there was not much happening in, in, in It's usually a pretty quiet time, at least until church lets out. You'll get your Sunday clothes. But, um, so I did this every Sunday morning. And I got to know street drugs. There's one that I'll never forget. His name is Joseph Parker. Older black man. He was probably 60 today. Joe was very smart. Even though he lived on a steamboat, he knew that you could sue Philadelphia, the uh, public transportation is called SEPTA. Right. Sued SEPTA, they would pay you to go away. So he would stand at a bus stop all day, watching where that bus stop, where he could pretty much nail within a foot where it was going to stop. Then he'd jump in front of it. Oh, okay. I'd stop. So I had Joe Parker as an EMS case hit by a bus. You're expecting, when you hear that over the radio, you're expecting pretty bad stuff. Right. Almost never hurt. <laughs> When he was hit by a bus and he had it on record and he had it on the EMS record, he could sue them. Eventually, his luck ran out and he fractured his feet. Oof. In wintertime, which is tough on a street trunk, not being able to be mobile. You have to fight for your steam. And Joe eventually died because misjudged a bus. Was not healthy enough to fight the steam grade. We had a winter that year of minus 10 for two days. But what a wonderful guy that guy was. <laughs> I was. Thomas Jefferson Hospital is two blocks from uh, Pennsylvania Hospital. Right. Very close to each other. I'm about to transport a patient Jefferson to Pennsylvania. But in the lobby, I run into Joe. Joe, I'm too busy today. Come back later. He left. Not the ambulance went over to Pennsylvania. I'm just signing that patient into Pennsylvania Hospital. In walks Joe Parker. And he sees me there. And the look on his face. It was where the fuck am I? Because <laughs> he's seen me in two places within five minutes. That was wonderful. <laughs> I like Joe a lot. Fortunately, I could not cure his alcoholism. 
one of the hardest diseases. So full of denial. He would have been a good engineer. He would have been a good psychologist. This guy was a talented man. But unfortunately, due to his race, probably not educated as well as he would have liked. But what if he had gotten the education his claim deserved? Absolutely. It's an absolute shame. But guys, we are way over time. I don't mind it because I'd love sitting here talking to, to Kevin here. Uh, we're going to have you back on again, yes? Absolutely. About this stuff forever. We could definitely do conversations about it forever. Um, but guys, thank you very much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did in any capacity, hit that thumbs up button. Like, share, comment, subscribe. Check out all the other podcasts around the Miss Entertainment. And of course, the audio-only formats can be found on Anchor.fm, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, or wherever quality podcasts can be heard. Again, in the description down below, you'll also have seen a, uh, when this video releases, you'll also have seen the commercial and the shout in the beginning. But in the description down below, if you or a loved one is in need of home care, uh, home nursing care, please contact the Nurses Guild. The phone numbers, the, e the uh, email, the, uh, the website are all in the description down below. Guys, thank you very much for hanging out with us. Kevin, thank you very much for coming and uh, sharing your stories with me. And we will catch you guys on the next Breaking the Fourth Wall. Have a good night. Hey guys, it's Chris from Realm of the Mist Entertainment. If you enjoyed this video, please hit that thumbs up button. Like, share, comment, subscribe. Check out all the other great podcasts that can be found on Realm of the Mist Entertainment's YouTube channel or our sister channel, Sounds Dicey Gaming, for all your tabletop needs. And if you prefer your podcasts in audio-only format, check out Realm of the Mist Entertainment on Anchor.fm, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever quality podcasts can be heard. To our Patreon supporters, we thank you very, very much. And if you're interested in being a Patreon supporter, please go over to patreon.com slash realm of the mist and just a dollar a month gives you exclusive content and helps our channel out greatly. Guys, again, thank you very much for joining us and we will see you on the next episode.